turn in your Bible to Psalm 23. All right, go ahead and open it up uh, because we're going to be walking our way through this text. Um, and as we get ready to look at this, I'm reminded uh, last summer, uh, Kim had a cousin that came in from California. And when she was in from California, she came over to our house because at that point in time, Kim's mom was staying with us. And so she came to see her. And this cousin stood out in front of our house and looked across, uh, you know, because we live out in the country, looked out across the, the fields there and just was admiring the scenery. And she said something like this. I don't, don't quote me, for, but something like this. I can't believe you get to live here every day. I can't believe you get to see something like this every day. And then just a couple of weeks ago, we were walking. We were doing kind of our evening walk. You know, when it starts to cool down, so we walk in next door to us. Actually, the house that I grew up in, there's somebody recently bought that. They're remodeling that, hoping to move in by the end of the month. And as we walked by their house, the man was standing in the front yard because the sun was going down, and he was just watching the sunset. And he said, this is why we bought out here in the country, because you don't see sunsets like that. In the city. And so he was just amazed. And I'll be honest, in both of those cases, you know what I thought to myself? What's the big deal? What's the big deal? Why? Because I see it every day. I, I've been looking at that same field for how many years now? I mean, too many to the count. I've been seeing sunsets like that for most of my life. And I looked at that and I was kind of like, uh, oh, yeah, that's, it's pretty. But I was thinking, what's the big deal? But here's the reality, all right? Because I'm used to that every day and I see it all the time. It's become so familiar to me in a way of lost its specialness. Now, see, there is a danger in anything like that. I even was thinking a while ago as I was talking about people coming in the air conditioning. I mean, we kind of take air conditioning for granted, right? Because it's such a part of, we, we don't praise the Lord every day for air conditioning most of the time because we're just used to it. It's a part of our life. But I guarantee if your air conditioning goes out, you'll miss it, right? Well, see, here's the reality. Things can come so common to us that they miss their specialness. I share these experiences because something we need to understand is there can be a danger in things becoming so familiar, like I said, that they lose their specialness. And one of those things would be the 23rd Psalm. All right, today we're going to look at the 23rd Psalm. And most this morning, the words of the 23rd Psalm are very familiar words to you. This passage may very well be one of the most used and most recognized passages in all the scriptures. Many of you even know why it is so popular, because it, in fact, has been used as a passage of scripture for numerous funerals through the years. In fact, if there is a passage of scripture that I hear quoted on secular TV shows or in movies, it's the 23rd Psalm, because even in secular shows, I've often seen funerals, and what are they reading? The 23rd Psalm. I mean, it's amazing. It's a secular show, but they're reading the 23rd Psalm, because you see, for many, Psalm 23 is no more than comforting words as you grieve the loss of a loved one. But let me say this to you. The 23rd Psalm is really a psalm for every day, all right? It's not just for funeral time. It's a psalm for every day. And so here's what I want us to try to do. I want us to try to do today is look at the 23rd Psalm with fresh eyes so that we might recapture the beauty and the power of this wonderful passage of Scripture. In fact, as we look at this psalm, here's what we're going to discover, right? This is what I want you to know today. All right, that God is the only one who satisfies now and forever. All right, will you catch that? This is what I want you to get, okay? God is the only one who satisfies now and forever. Now, that might seem like a bold statement to some, but it's a true statement. It's a statement that we can see dominates this psalm with the opening verse that goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh, what a powerful statement. I shall not want. 
That's probably something that most listening today would love to be able to say. You'd love to be able to say this morning, wouldn't you? I, I, I do not want. Would you love to say that? But let's be honest, all right? Most of us today have a long list of things that we want. I mean, you want a better relationship with your spouse. You want a better relationship with your kids. You want a bigger house. You want a better car. You want a job that pays more money or gives you more responsibilities. You want to take a vacation. You want to feel safe. You want there to be peace in your life. You see, the list this morning of our wants goes on on and on and on. And many of you feel like this, that there's no way that you can be satisfied. Well, as you consider this statement, let's consider something. The words here were written by David, a man who knew much difficulty in life. Remember, at one time, David was hunted by King Saul, the man who David had ministered to and proved to be loyal to. David was also a man who had experienced his own son, Absalom, turning on him. Absalom's rebellion was so great that David, for months, was on the run in the wilderness, fearing for his life. In fact, some Bible scholars even believe it was while he was in the wilderness, on the run, a place where at one time he had tended sheep himself as a young boy, that he wrote this psalm, pinning the very words, I shall not want. Even if it wasn't during this specific time, David wrote as a man who had faced many challenges and yet still wrote, I shall not want. So what made David be able to write these words? The key to the whole psalm is found in the first few words. The Lord is my shepherd, okay? The Lord is my shepherd. What David had discovered is that satisfaction is found only in one place, and it's one's relationship with the Lord. It wasn't found in the abundance of his possession. It wasn't found in the absence of turmoil in his relationships. It wasn't found in his success as king. It wasn't found in how well he executed his religious rituals. It was only found in his personal relationship with the one true God who had created him and gave his life purpose. And let's make it very clear. It was in his personal relationship with God. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, that statement may not sound strange to us because we live in a society that makes everything about who? Me, all right, us, all right? That's what we do. We make it about me. And so it doesn't seem like a, such a strange thing for David to say, the Lord is my shepherd. But understand, in David's time, in the community of Israel, when they thought about God, they viewed God more in the sense of a community God, or otherwise, the God of Israel. It wasn't so much of my God as it was a community God. He is the God of our nation. He is the God of our people. And so when David looked, he wanted to make something very clear. I want you to know, he says, the satisfaction you're longing, how do you have your fulfills, your, your needs, all those met, all your wants met? David is making it clear that it only comes in one's personal relationship with God. As it has been said, when God is your shepherd, you have everything you truly need. You may not have everything you desire or you wish for, but you have all you need to make you happy and satisfied. In fact, Ray Steadman in his book on the Psalms quotes his friend and colleague David Roper as saying this, there's only really two options in life. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want. But if I am in want, then it is obvious that the Lord is not my shepherd. It's that simple. If there's emptiness, loneliness, dissatisfaction, and frustration in our lives, then the Lord is not our shepherd. If we look to anyone or anything other than to God as our shepherd, we will never be satisfied. Now, that's a strong statement, which at least makes this truth very clear. 
Only God could satisfy both now and forever. If you are looking to anything or anyone other than God to satisfy, then you are looking in the wrong place. Now, let's think about how God satisfies. For he satisfies because God is the shepherd who leads and protects, all right? Look look at verses two and three, reminds us of how God leads us. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, God leads us to a place of rest, restoration, and righteousness, We all know that life can be draining. Is that true? It can be. We continue to run to pursue more. We continually battle frustration after frustration. We work tirelessly to provide basic needs for our families. And life is this continual flurry of activity. And in the midst of all this, we find ourselves wore out. We find ourselves in need of rest. However, we fail to rest. We push ourselves to the point of exhaustion. And what God wants to do is to lead us to green pastures and to still waters where rest can be found. It says, look at this, that God makes us lie down in those green pastures. And I say this, God tries to do this in a very gentle way at first. And think about it. Remember, God created the Sabbath for man, did he not? In other words, he commanded us that we would have a day of rest. And again, as I said, it was made for us as man. Not, not the, not, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, okay? What he means by that is God gave that to us because we need what? We need rest, all right? Unfortunately, what do many of us still do? We fail to rest. We fail to even observe a Sabbath day. We don't even take this day off. So that can take us someplace where God, I think, has to get a little forceful with us sometimes. And I believe God at times does make us lie down. I don't even doubt this, that there are times that God has used hospital beds to cause people to rest. I even part of wondered this. I wonder if maybe God has sent a virus in our midst to say, my people need some rest. I'm trying to get your attention. And I want to remind you that what you need is me. And so slow down, be still because I am God. And I want you to know who I am. I want you to rest in me. Maybe God is making us lie down. God also seeks to lead us to the still waters of refreshment and restoration. I'm reminded of the scripture that says, be still and know that I'm God. More than that, I'm reminded of what Psalm 1 reminded us when it said this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaves does not wither. In other words, God has given us his word, and when we delight in it, it is like constantly drinking from the still waters that refresh. And what a person will discover is that as you rest in the Lord and as you drink of his word, your soul is refreshed, really, because you have the opportunity to be with the Lord. And as you have the opportunity to be with the Lord, he restores your soul. See, having a personal relationship with God restores your soul in a way that nothing on earth can. And in this relationship, God leads you into the paths of righteousness. He leads you in the right direction. He shows you how to live right. He directs you in the things that you should do, even the things that you shouldn't do. We all, like sheep, have this tendency to do the wrong things. We have a tendency to go the wrong direction. However, when one continually looks to the Lord, he delights in giving you direction. He delights in showing you the right way to go. And you can be sure that if you walk with the Lord and let him direct your path, you will go the right way. And how can you be sure? 
because God has staked his reputation on it. Did you notice this? The Psalm says that God leads in paths of righteousness for what? His name's sake. In other words, his reputation is on the line. And so he wants to lead you in the right direction. What we even need to understand is this. Hear me very clearly. As long as we are living for our own reputation, we will never be satisfied. Okay. But when we begin to live for God's reputation, then we can find the path to true satisfaction. All right. It's probably worth repeating, is it not? All right. You see, as long as we're looking for our reputation and living for our reputation, we will never be satisfied. All right, but when we begin to live for God's reputation, you will find the path to true satisfaction. The key, again, to all of this is God. It's his presence and your personal relationship with him. And what you really need in order to find the rest, restoration, and righteousness you long for is God and his leading in your life. But then notice, God doesn't just lead, he protects. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This verse is the one verse that makes Psalm 23 such a comforting passage during funerals. In many ways, this is the verse that so many people focus on. However, let me go ahead and say this. Even though we focus on it at death, this verse is not just about death. Okay, think about this. The original Hebrew language speaks more of a sense of a deep, impenetrable darkness. In fact, one way that you could translate this phrase is a valley as dark as death. You see, when we think about God's protection, folks, he doesn't just walk through the darkness of death with us. God will through all the dark moments of our life. If your dark moment is the betrayal of a spouse, God is there. If your dark moment is a diagnosis of a terminal disease, God is there. If your dark moment is the fear of a pandemic, God is there. If your dark moment is the doubt of your own ability to pursue God's dream or your dream or God's dream for you, God is there. If your dark moment is the worry of providing for your family, God is there. In others, whatever your dark moment is, God is there to protect you. And his presence is what makes all the difference. It's not even this. It's not even this, that all your darkness goes away immediately. But what is, is God is there to go through it with you. Think about this, all right? Think about a young child sitting with her family on the couch at night, and it's dark outside, and then suddenly the lights go out. What does that child want in that moment? Tell me. Somebody say it. Okay, other than light. The lights aren't coming back. You're right. Okay, once light, that's true. But in the midst of that darkness, what does that young child want? Mom, all right? Mom or maybe dad, right? One of those parents. As long as they're holding on to it, what does that child feel? Secure and safe because it may be dark, but my parent gives me that security, right? Now, if you don't relate to that, why don't you try this sometime? Just when things get back up normal, go down to Mammoth Cave, go on that cave tour where when you get real down dark, they turn all the lights off, Okay. Make sure as you go, though, go with somebody that you love, because in that moment when the lights go off, what do you want in that cave? You want to hold on to whoever's with you, right? And somehow, even though it hasn't changed your environment any, there's still this great comfort. Why? Because the one that I love is with me. And here's what God promises. He promises to be with us in our dark moments of life. And if we look to him, he will give us the comfort we need. 
In those dark moments, we can find comfort in God's rod and his staff. Both are used to protect the sheep. A rod is carried by a shepherd to fight off enemies. A rod is not used on the sheep. The rod is used to fight off those looking to steal the sheep or take the life of the sheep. But then the staff is used by the shepherd to gently nudge a sheep, which is getting off course, or to lift up a sheep that maybe has fallen into a hole or a place that it cannot get out of. We can find comfort in our lives that God is the one who fights our enemies for us. Amen? All right. We don't have to fight our own battles because God fights for us. We can find comfort that God gently guides us so that we stay on the right path, protecting us from the dangers of walking on the wrong path. We can find comfort in knowing that if we make mistakes and fall in a pit, that our God can lift us up. And I think it's fair to say that we all at some point have needed God's staff to reach down and pick us up, have we not? I think we all have. When you have a personal relationship with God, you can be assured that he is the shepherd that leads and protects. Now, if we were to stop right there, folks, that should be enough to satisfy. Knowing that God leads us, knowing that God protects us should be enough for us. However, there is even more because catch this, God is the banquet host who provides. Now, here's what you can do if you want. In verse five, you can use the imagery of God as the shepherd. Let me just say this. It is more fitting to speak of God beginning in verse five as a banquet host. As we look at this verse, look at how the image has seemed to shift with the language describing a banquet in verse five. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Everything we see in this verse describes the scene of a banquet. Maybe we can see this as the weary traveler has made his or her way through the dark valleys and has finally reached the desired destination. And what does the weary traveler find there? That the host has made preparations for a great banquet. The table is prepared. The head gets anointed with oil. And there is plenty because even the cup is filled to overflowing. Now, as you read this verse, you must clearly understand that here we see a description of a life that chooses to live in a relationship with God. It is a life that finds provision from God. There is no doubt that what is described here is the Christian life. We live in a world where we are surrounded by our enemies. Some of them we can see, some of them we cannot see. There are physical enemies, there are spiritual enemies. There are enemies from within and there are enemies from without. But it is God who even in the presence of those enemies offers to us an abundance. He provides us the gift of sitting at his table and the protection of being in the house of the host. He then anoints the head with oil. Oil in the times of the psalm had various purposes. Sometimes it was applied for medical purposes, as we see in the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And folks, no doubt God can bring healing to our lives, right? Kings and priests were then anointed with oil as a sign that they had been consecrated to God's service. And the scripture reminds us, God calls us to be consecrated to him for his service. Or is he not? There's also symbolic meaning behind the anointing with oil for it is symbolized the presence and the activity of the Holy Spirit. And we are told in scripture for those who trust in God, he gives them his what? Holy Spirit, does he not? 
We don't have to know exact meaning behind this image to know that the point is that the host accepts the guests and is saying to them, I have a place for you. You are welcome at my table and I will provide. And of course, the cup overflowing is a reminder to us that God's provisions are in abundance. And what God provides for us is more than we deserve or need. But then look at what David said next in verse six. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's remember something about David, as I've mentioned. This was a man who had seen many highs and many lows in life. He was a man that experienced the great high of defeating Goliath when all of Israel's army cowered in fear. He knew the great joy of being anointed as the king of Israel. He was a man who also knew the fear of having the king he was loyal to him hunt him down to kill him. He also knew the great defeat of giving into his own sin as he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then he had her husband killed. This was a man who experienced God's forgiveness but then suffered the death of his young son. He was a man who then had to struggle through the agony of having a son rebel and seek to overthrow him as a king but then he knew the joy of having a son who would build a temple for God. David was a man who knew both highs and lows in life but what did David do? He spoke of God's absolute, or he spoke of his absolute confidence in God's goodness and his mercy throughout his life. David had experienced God's hand in the past, and he fully expected God to be there for him in the future. He said, "Surely goodness and mercy shall, all right, shall follow me all the days of my life." He was looking to the future, assured of God's presence. God had been there in the past, and he believed God was going to be there in the future. He was assured that God would continue to provide. Now, when you think about goodness, it's not that everything we receive from God is good from our perspective. But God knows that what is good for our lives, even if we perceive it as bad. In Matthew 7, Jesus was talking about God giving to us, and this is what he said. He said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So you can be assured of God's goodness in your life. What you also can be assured of is his mercy. And mercy here speaks of God's love for us. The Hebrew's word here is hesed. And it is sometimes translated loving kindness. In the New Testament, it would be translated as grace. See, this reminds us that the love that David is speaking about here is a love that we do not deserve. It is a love that we cannot earn. It is a love given to us by God simply because he is God. Think about how often people are looking for love to be satisfied. And in an attempt to find love, People do all kinds of things, right? Now, in the next few moments, I'm going to admit something. I'm getting ready to speak out of my ignorance. I'll make that confession up front, okay? And I'm saying that because of this, because I have never watched one episode of these shows called The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, all right? I've never watched one episode. Maybe some of you are. I never have. But I've seen enough commercials to know the premise, okay? There is a bachelor or there's a bachelorette, and they're all coming, and then there's all these other singles vying for their love, all right? So they're doing all these things to, to get the bachelor or the bachelorette to fall in love with them, and they will do anything, even if it means stabbing other people in the back to get this person to love them, because hopefully at the end, what's gonna happen is love is sparked, and there's gonna be an engagement, and eventually there's gonna be a marriage. All right, if you, love, if you watch that, my guess is I've nailed the plot, have I not? 
all right? Again, I've, I've watched enough commercials to know I, I don't really want to watch it. But unfortunately, this is what I'm going to say. That's how many of us often act towards God's love, that somehow it is a competition and I'm vying for God's love. And I'll do whatever it takes to earn that, including necessary. I'll take others down so that God will love me. You know what I'm talking about? It happens all the time. Let me be very quick in saying this. That is not how God's love works. You cannot earn his love. As I said a few moments ago, you do not deserve it, but God gives it to you anyway. That is why when you look at this word love, it is best translated grace because God's love for us is surely a grace-filled love. Otherwise, we would all be without hope. Amen? We all, we all have hope. God provides his love, though, without regards to who you are because God is love, and God's love is the only love that can fully satisfy. Now, as David thought about how God as the great host provides, he ended with this powerful statement at the end of verse 6, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here, David points us to God's gift of eternal life, reminding us that God's desire to satisfy is not just now, but he desires to satisfy forever. And some people have even tried to say that this is not what David is speaking about. Some have tried to say that he's speaking about us being in God's temple or God's tabernacle. And those who hold this view have the belief that ancient Hebrews did not have a concept of eternal life or of the resurrection. However, they are mistaken. Let me give you just two Old Testament passages to show you otherwise. In Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Did Daniel believe in an eternal life? Did he believe in a resurrection? You bet he did. Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead shall what? Live, their bodies shall rise. You will dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. You see, these passages clearly show that the Hebrew people believed in the concept of eternal life and resurrection. And if we still wonder if the Psalm here is talking about eternal life and not the tabernacle, let's not forget this, that Jesus himself, as he was preparing to die, said this in John 14, in my father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. You see, Jesus spoke here about his father's house and he definitely was not talking about the temple because remembering he was getting ready to what? Die, okay? This idea of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever most definitely was pointing us to eternal life because let's observe something very specifically. What was really being pointed here was a relationship with God that will never end. What David looked forward to was dwelling in the Lord's house forever. In other words, it was about being in the presence of God forever. It wasn't as much about where he would be, but rather with whom he would be. Really points us back to the beginning. David began the words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he ends with, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is being pointed to in both is a personal relationship with God, a personal relationship with God, which is the only thing that will satisfy both now and forever. Now, as we consider this psalm, here are some things that we must do. Number one is this. 
We must be aware that you're often tempted to look to things other than God for satisfaction. This is how we have always been as people. The only relationship with God satisfies, we look other places. One of the great warnings about this tendency was given to the Hebrews as they were preparing to go into the promised land. They had already seen God do miraculous things in delivering them from the Egyptians. They had already seen God do miraculous things in providing for their care in their wilderness. And they would continue to see God work miraculously to help them enter and occupy the promised land. Yet here is the warning that they were given in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 8, all right? It said, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I commanded you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You see, think about this. Out of all the people who should not have been tempted to forget God, it should have been the Hebrew people, right? They had seen God do so many great things. Who would have thought that they would? But no, God gave them a warning in advance. When you go into the land, guess what? You're going to be tempted because your houses, man, you're going to build houses. Listen, you're going to have all this food. You're going to have your provisions. I mean, it's a, remember, it was a land of abundance, was it not? And God was saying, when you get there, here's what you're going to be tempted to do. You're going to be tempted to look to all of those things and find satisfaction, and you're going to look away from me. And folks, listen, we still do the same. We still fulfill the words of Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We today have that same temptation. In fact, I would ask you today, consider this. You ready? What is causing you to be discontent? What or who are you looking to for satisfaction? If you cannot say today that you are finding contentment in your personal relationship, God, then today is a day to refocus. All right, nothing or no one other than God can satisfy you. And if you are looking to things thinking satisfaction will come, you will always be in the want. If you are looking to relationships other than God to satisfy, you will always be looking for that perfect relationship. You need to know that you, like the rest of us, are tempted to look to other things for satisfaction and other than God. And so we all need to confess that. And we all need to say, God, I've been looking in the wrong places. And what we need to do today is turn back to God and say, God, I understand only you satisfy and only a personal relationship with you will do. And we need to turn back to him today. Therefore, you need to also make sure this, that you continually work on your relationship with God. Please, folks, please don't take your relationship with God for granted. Like any relationship, you have to continually work on it. The words in Hebrew 3 makes this clear when we read this. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, folks, listen, we are to take care of ourselves so that we don't fall away from the living God. And then we are to encourage and help others do the same. You see, I have to ask you today, ask this question. What are you doing to invest in your relationship with God? I don't believe what needs to be done in many ways is much of a mystery, is it? 
I mean, think about this. God has given us his word so that we can know him, has he not? Has he? So, so let me ask you, are you reading and studying his word? God has given us prayer so that we can communicate with him and know him. Let me ask you, are you praying? Are you talking to him on a regular basis? God has given us his church so that we can have community where we find help and encouragement to know God. Let me ask you, are you connected to the community of church? All right, not just coming, not just attending. Are you connected to where you're close to people who are encouraging you and helping lift you up and help you walk in your relationship with God? Are you, let me ask you this, are you regularly practicing confession and repentance? Because folks, we get off track. So what we must do is confess and repent so that God might regularly cleanse us and keep us on track with him. What are you doing to continually work on your relationship with God? Please today, don't take your relationship with God for granted. Continually to work on it or you will fail to be satisfied. But let's not forget the most important thing when it comes to finding satisfaction. Know today that a personal relationship with God begins with faith in Jesus Christ. You know what many fail to do is recognize the most important step in finding satisfaction now and forever. It's recognizing that Jesus is the only way to a personal relationship with God. You know, earlier I quoted Jesus saying that he was preparing a place for us in his father's house. But let's not forget just after that, he said this in verse six. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Then the apostle Paul, who in life said he had experienced times of plenty and times of want, times of being hungry and times of being in abundance. He also said he found the secret of being content, the secret of being satisfied. And what was that secret? This is how he said it in Philippians 4:13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Earlier in the chapter three, he spoke of the greatness of a personal relationship with Jesus and how it was even better than all his credentials when he said this, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And what God's word makes very clear is this. The only thing that can truly satisfy is a personal relationship with God, a relationship that we messed up because of sin, but God restored through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the one who died for our sin so that through faith in him, we might be reconciled to God, that our relationship with the one true God could be restored. In fact, even consider this, that Psalm 23 is perfectly placed after Psalm 22. Some of y'all heard last week's message, right? You're either here or maybe you heard it on the live stream. We looked at Psalm 22 last week and we saw how it was a psalm that pointed us to who? Jesus, right? It was a messianic psalm that spoke of the Savior who would die, whose hands and feet would be pierced, but he would also bring victory. So in reality, folks, we can only know a walk with the good shepherd of the 23rd Psalm after we, after we have experienced the suffering Messiah of the 23rd Psalm. 20, 22nd Psalm, my, my, 22nd Psalm, yeah, all right. I always love, my wife keeps me straight. She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, 22, yeah. We can only sit at the table of the great banquet host in the 23rd Psalm after we have accepted the invitation of the victorious Savior of the 22nd Psalm the one who invites people from all nations to come and worship him. Isn't that what we saw last week? 
They invite them from all nations to come and to sing his praises and worship. In fact, it takes us to this question, really. Have you recognized that Jesus is the only way to begin a relationship with God? If not, let me say, today is a day to invite Jesus to take control of your life so that you can begin to walk in a personal relationship with God where satisfaction is found. I pray that you will place your faith in Jesus today. And if you're here and say, well, I have that personal relationship with Jesus, but you're still struggling to be satisfied, let God search your heart and show you what you are looking to for satisfaction that will not do. And let him today become that source of satisfaction and say, God, I'm laying it all aside for you. Because I know this today, if you'll look and you'll walk with the good shepherd, if you'll come and dine at the host of, or the banquet table of the great host, what I know today is there you will find all you need. You will find satisfaction at his table. You will find satisfaction as he walks with you through life. Because folks, truly, God is the only one who satisfies now and forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we bow into your presence today, Lord, thanking you for this familiar psalm. But I pray today that, God, you've helped open our eyes to this psalm, maybe in a a fresh way, or maybe, Father, maybe not a fresh way, Father, but just a reminder of what it really is. A psalm that reminds us of the importance of a personal relationship with you. And Father, my prayer today is that you would speak to every heart here. Because Father, no matter what the condition today, our answer is you. For some, it's giving their life to Jesus for the very first time. It's coming and confessing their sin, realizing that they have fallen short. Recognizing that Jesus is that suffering Messiah, that one we looked at last week who died in their place, who died for their sin, who is willing to have hands and feet pierced and that, that crown of thorns placed upon the head and just nailed to that cross and to die in our place. And Father, today, some need to give their life to him. And so I pray if some need to start there, that this would be the day that they would come and say, Jesus, come into my life. I give it to you. I recognize who you are and I recognize that I need to live for you. That today, again, confessing their sin, they invite Jesus to take control, to forgive them and give them eternal life. But then for all of us today, we have to come and confess. We're tempted. We're so tempted to look around at the world and let a car someone else's drive give me this need. I I need that to be satisfied. Or look at someone else's house and say, if I had a house like that, then I'd be satisfied. Or if I just had a more important job, I'd be satisfied. Father, today forgive us that we do that when really all we need to do is look to you. And then, Father, you can give us peace. You can give us contentment. You can give us satisfaction by just having you. Because, God, I know your promise is this. You'll always be with us. You'll provide. We'll always have our needs met as we look to you. And so, Father, today I pray, even though we're tempted to get our eyes off of you, that today we all would put our eyes on you and that personal relationship, and we would walk in it today and find the satisfaction that we so long for. So speak to us during this invitation. Whatever our need is, God, during this time, turn our hearts back to you. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.